Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. Today, we're talking about chapters 18 and 19 of The Sword of Bedweer, the first book in the Crimson Shadow series by R.A. Salvatore. Joined with me today is Justin Mason, indie author. Justin, how you doing, bro? Dan, I'm doing great. First of all, you know, I just want to shout out, thanks for having me back on the podcast. This is course. awesome. And, uh, you know, I tell you this every episode, I've been listening to it on Spotify and my goodness, it's this podcast sound fantastic. It's crispy. I've actually been, uh, I did these two chapters in one sitting, which again, pretty rare for me, but I did these two chapters in one sitting. And the other night when I was reading this, I found myself thinking, you know, we didn't have a lot of intense action. There was a little bit. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of intense action in these two chapters, but they were so plot and story heavy. And there were so many new developments that made me say, what's going to happen next? I couldn't put it down. Yeah. And in chapter 18, it was pretty short, but a lot of stuff happens. And then in chapter 19, it's a big boy. It's a beefy chapter. And it's a thick boy. And the beginning of it is very heavy with different scenes jumping from here to here. But Mm -hmm. like the the second half goes a little quicker because there's not so much... Don't we actually get our first uh, scene focusing on Morkney? Sure do. We we awesome. get to meet the Duke of Montfort himself. So let's jump right into it. Chapter yeah. 18, Not So Much a Slave. Summary. Oliver arrives back at the apartment on, the, on Tiny Alcove Street, where Luthien was pacing around anxiously. The halfling had been good to his word on gathering information about the slave girl's master, but asked one last time if he could talk Luthien out of attempting what could be their most dangerous job yet. Seeing that Luthien was not going to back down, Oliver proclaims uh, proclaims to him to be a stubborn fool to share the info on the merchant's type's whereabouts. Oh, and then begins to share the info on the merchant type's whereabouts. So I like what I liked about this whole scene, right? Back and forth with Oliver and Luthien. You can see that Oliver, you know, he... he He's trying to talk Luthien out of it because Oliver's got a cooler head here because he's not focused on this girl. Yeah. So Oliver's cooler head is prevailing for him. But you can kind of see that Oliver is thinking, I can't come in between you two. I just I just can't do it. Yeah. Stealing and, jewels and coins is one thing, but actually breaking a slave out of the system that's embedded in the city for years is like yeah. a whole nother animal. Oliver's yeah. probably like, yeah, we could do it, but do we really need to right now? Come on, man. So, really bad idea, bro. Cue the Mission Impossible flute music. The mission. Retrieving the slave girl, breaking her out, and head out onto the road until the coast is clear. The target, the merchant slave owner's house. The location, northwestern part of town, just south of the road to Port Charlie. The dangers. The dangers. Lesser merchant types paid Cyclopean guards will be around. If successful, potentially getting the attention of Duke Morkney's Praetorian guard on their trail. And also, winter is drawing close, making travel on the road less comfortable. (laughs) Please do this for every chapter from now on. (laughs) Only when there's there's a job. Jobs only. So Luthien decides that tonight is the night. Oliver uh, grumbles again that he is stubborn he is a stubborn fool and goes to his room to rest before the job slamming the door behind him then we cut to the pair later that night having already made it to the alley right outside the merchant's house without incident the house was a fine two-story l-shaped stone structure go ahead what i loved about this part and what i hated at the same time at first i was like wait now they're outside of it outside the back alley already yeah they just like, this is where they they're, they're jumping just, it's like, so I'm like, so Bob just does a freaking yep. jump. And it took me a second to register that. I'm like, oh, he just put us there. He's not even dicking around. They're not going to walk there. Not going to have any more conversations. They're just there. It's time to go. Yeah, so that's these I, chapters are very much like that. I like how he pushes the pace here. But at the same time, it took my brain just a second to kind of register that. And um, if you want to follow along with the reading and stuff, just jump onto Google Drive. I've got the whole layout there. And then you can see when the, the natural breaks occur so you don't have to just wait with your hand up. You know oh, I mean? sorry. No, that's nice. okay. No problem. So um, the house was a fine two-story L-shaped stone structure with many balconies and windows. The perfect target. Oliver still expressed his doubts, but Luthien 
was more sure of his choices than ever before. So here's an excerpt from the story. The young man had found a purpose in life, something that went beyond discarding winter coats where the poor children of tiny alcove might find them. He thought himself the proverbial knight in shining armor, the perfect hero who would rescue his lady from the evil merchant. The next sentence states, he never thought to ask if she needed rescuing. I loved it because it's like, yeah. he's thinking about, yes, I'm going to be the white knight here. I'm going to protect this girl. I'm going to get her out. And then he's like, wait a second. You know, I've never actually talked to this girl. It's all actually happening now. Does she even need it? Like, shouldn't I have asked that first? Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, it's like we talked about this last time. You, you meet a girl and you're just like, oh, my gosh, she's so hot. I'd love to go out with her. She's so beautiful. I, I wonder what kind of just what kind of companion she would be. I wonder, you know, what kind of girlfriend she would be, what kind of wife she would be. Oh, my God, she's probably amazing. And then sometimes you meet him and you're like, oh, she's awesome. And sometimes you meet people and you're like, oh, she's kind of a douche. Like, yeah. Like there's always that unknown, like we put a lot of our own expectations onto people before we even meet them. And Oliver actually calls that out in the previous chapter. Speaking of Oliver, Oliver makes his way up the balcony, still thinking Luthien was going into it too fast. He secured his position and turned to signal to his human companion that the coast was clear, but Luthien was already halfway up the rope, climbing furiously. Then something caught the halfling's eye. Looking across the courtyard into the window with the one flickering candle, the pair saw from the alleyway, he saw the slave girl. Yeah, so this was really cool, right? It's like, they're going to go break into this house. I mean, they're get, this is going to happen, right? And, oh, we're halfway up the balcony and we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong place. Like, she's over there. Your princess is literally in another castle. Well, I don't know. I don't think that's how, okay, so I didn't. See, read it as that. So it's an L-shaped stone structure. So, you know, you can imagine what that looks like. But when they get up to the balcony, that when they first got there, they noticed there was a candle flickering in one of the windows. Mm. So they positioned themselves onto one of the balconies. And then as they were up on the balcony, or as Oliver was up on the balcony waiting for Luthien to climb up, he looked into that same window that was in that building across the courtyard. It's an l shape. So there's a courtyard in the middle of the, or on the inside of the L. That's what I assumed. And he looked I might into, have seen this wrong. Yeah, and I looked and he looks into that window with the one flickering candlelight and he sees the slave girl in there. That's her room. So is it kind of like so here's Oliver up top and here's Luthien climbing up and Oliver yep. sees the window and then all of a sudden here's the slave girl climbing yes. down? Yes. I mean that's kind of funny. Yeah. That's kind of so, funny. Um Oliver proclaims their business was done there. And the pair make their way back down the street to street level to meet up with the so called slave girl. They found her around the corner with two others. One slender, but as tall as Luthien, and the other, the woman's size. They both knew that they were all fairborn. So one thing I'm thinking to myself at this point, I have, uh, this is, there's a lot of things going through my mind when I was reading this chapter, but one in particular was, okay, these fairborn are sneaking out, Get, or at least the slave girl is, getting together with this group, and they're going to steal, they're going to do whatever they're doing, Right. What if, this is how my mind works, mm -hmm. what if that slave girl is bringing her take back to that merchant type? What if she's actually working for him willingly? I, I don't know. I don't know. I've only gotten so far. I've yeah. only gotten through 19. But my mind starts working that way. Like, what if she's doing this on the size to raise some extra money? Like, what if, they, you know, like, what if, what if she's like an accomplice? And what if the whole slave girl thing's just a cover? Right. Like, I don't know why my mind thinks that way, but. Well, oh, at that point, that's what you were thinking. Yeah. So um, the house that they're at is the merchant's house, and she's a slave mm -hmm. to this house. So for her to be a thief that comes out of that house to then go steal some stuff for the merchant, I guess, you know, yeah, I guess that could happen. Um, I was thinking about that. I, I, I skipped over a paragraph uh, of when Luthien gets to the top, so I'm just going to read that quick. As Luthien okay. was just coming up to the top of the balcony that Oliver was on, the halfling noticed the beautiful slave girl tuck her lustrous hair into a black cap, grab a pack, and head out the window. Um, Oliver silently got Luthien's attention and pointed to him in the direction of the candlelit room where the pair saw a black form making its way nimbly down a makeshift rope made of bedsheets. Luthien's lips tightened into a grimace. Some thief had dared to break into the house of his love. So he still was like, 
oh my god but oliver knew it was the slave girl because he had seen the whole thing luthien is so Smitten. naive and innocent and i think we really see that in chapter 18 and chapter 19 yes like this, this boy has never seen anything like <laughs> yeah. to him, the only thing he's seen women do is obviously be women and in the case of Catherine O'Hale, fight in the arena. Well, you know, for him, you know, he's kind of like, it reminds me of like a small town, like hero. You know, you, yeah. uh, we went to a school that was division one in our state. So we're used yeah. to having massive amounts of kids on every team, on every musical, you know, there's tons of kids all the time. So it's very yeah. difficult to get to the top of something that has a structure with so many thousands of kids in it. Well, that what, um, what Luthien reminds me of is those kids that are from like, I don't know, just a small town where they have like 20 kids in their class. And he's the one kid who's like the best at soccer or something like that or the best at wrestling. And so obviously, you know, it's a small town or a small amount. So like I'm not saying that girls were like throwing himself at Luthien, but it was pretty easy just to get into a relationship with somebody. And it was just kind of there, you know, so he doesn't have yeah. any experience of like um being with someone who's more worldly or has a, a different viewpoint of that, of, of things. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So after that, Oliver proclaims he's, he knows what's up now. He's like, okay, our, our job's done here. Yeah, and, go and Luthien catches on is like, oh, okay, let's go see what she's doing. So they follow her and meet and see. Well, actually now it's done. So like now the job's done. So they're like, now it's just the car chase theme. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they found the, the trio there. So they tailed yep. the trio through the streets and to another building where they had broken into the place. Um, mm -hmm. The trio did. They were proficient at their work and came out of the building with a bulging sack and started down the alley past Luthien and Oliver who were hiding under the crimson cloak motionless against the wall. Luthien resisted the urge to confront the woman then and there and continued following the small band all the way back to where they had met and where they now split up. Oliver begged Luthien to leave this alone, but the young bedweer was now set on, co on confrontation and knowing where the woman was going to return to, he made his way around the corner and concealed himself under his cape and waited. The woman came by, perfectly silent, walking with the practiced footsteps of a seasoned thief. She moved right past the camouflaged Luthien, glanced both ways along the street, and started across. Not so much a slave, Luthien remarked, lifting his head to regard her. <laughs> there he is, title. Hey. Yeah, you didn't see me, but uh, not so much a slave out there, sweet cheeks. What you, uh, what you doing out here? Stealing for the master or what? In the blink of an eye, the fair-born woman whipped her sword about and pinned Luthien to the wall with her sword at his throat. Oliver then makes his presence known to the woman, saying that it would not be so wise to do this, to which a rebuttal of perhaps not came from behind the halfling as one of the woman's friends positioned himself behind Oliver. Down the alley was the last of the Fairborn thief trio with a bow aimed right at Oliver's head. <laughs> Doesn't Oliver say, I could be wrong? I could be wrong. Yes, he does Doesn't say that. Doesn't he admit that? Yeah. I'm like, don't we get that, uh, don't we get that tagline in there it's, somewhere? It's wonderful because Luthien confronts her. She's like in go mode and then whips around, pins him against the wall. And before Luthien can say anything, Oliver sneaks up behind her and is like, that would be a bad idea, lady. You know, thinking he's got the upper hand. But then, of course, there's a guy that's Luthien's height right behind him saying, perhaps not. And then he hears the, the pull of a string from a bow aimed directly at his head. And he's like, oh, the tables have I turned. I could be wrong. <laughs> the woman demanded to know who they were. And Luthien stammered through an introduction as Oliver relaxed and called him a fool. Luthien's going. I I saw you in the I saw you at the market. Uh, is that, he he hit you, you know. And Oliver's like, the kid's a fool. He was looking for you. The male Fairborn reminded them that they are in the street, and the group made their way, like saying, "Hey, we're in the street, guys. Let's go talk somewhere else." And the group made their way further into the alley to speak more openly. Oliver proclaimed that they are all half elven, to which the bow wielding woman said that she was full blood. I think it was the bow wielding woman. I don't remember. I I was kind of confused on this part and because I wasn't sure when they were revealing names and stuff, like who's who was talking. Anyway, mm -hmm. 
Then Oliver connected the dots by correctly stating that they are part of a group known as The Cutters, a notorious thieving band, and uh, a remark that took the trio of elves by surprise. The male Fairborn kind of slips up and scolds the supposed slave girl using her real name, Shaban, and she remarks on the crimson shadow that Luthien left on the wall and starts giving him coy looks. Being like, oh, you're the... Is Shaban how it's pronounced? Yes. Where do we get that? Or did so it's that? spelled S-I-O-B-A-H-N. It looks like Sioban. I've been saying Sioban, Shoban, yeah. But it's Shaban. Like Shaban Urkel. <laughs> I the yeah. only reason why I'm saying that is because that's how the narrator said, and we know he oh. says Erlador, so it could be completely wrong. You know, that S-I-O to him maybe looked like an H, and so he's saying Shaban. That could totally be. Like Shabani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I just had my yogurt. Um, I just had my Shaban yogurt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Sioban or Shiban, however you want to say it, I'm going to continue saying it both ways. Shaban's because fine. We can do Shaban. Uh, and she remarked on the crimson shadow that Luthien left in the wall, and she's like, oh, you're the crimson shadow, and starts like fluttering her eyes at him. And Luthien starts to get red in the face, and it says something like, he almost turned as red as his crimson cape. Nice. I like that. Oliver insists that it's not just the Crimson Shadow, but Oliver de Burroughs as well. Hey, it's not just him. Oliver de Burroughs here. Hey. Nobody gave a shit about Oliver. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. The male Fairborn reveals that their work or their work is known to them. So saying, hey, I, we know of you, Crimson Shadow. So they invite Luthien and, and later Oliver to join the Cutters. The male Fairborn reminds them that the night was growing late and that they should part ways. Shaban asked the pair to consider the offer, and the group disbanded. And that's the end of chapter 18. Not so much a slave, I guess. Not so much a slave, huh? <laughs> yeah. He thought that he had the great. upper hand. It didn't happen. So, nope. points to bring up. Shaban remarks to Luthien, after learning that he's the Crimson Shadow, I would have thought you, much, you a much older man, Shaban went on. Or a longer living elf, perhaps. Which is interesting considering that we don't know much about the Crimson Cape's previous owner. So before, uh, in the last episode, <laughs> what? Perfect place to insert that Oliver was the previous Crimson Shadow. Right. Well, that's what I want to get to know. Because she suggests that she would have thought that he was an older man or perhaps a longer living elf. And Oliver is old, right? Like, he's like 50, right? Probably. I mean, I, he seems wise, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It is weird that the cape is so long because that would not work with Oliver, right? Maybe it shrinks to his size or mm -hmm. the, 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 the wearer's size. You I don't know. know. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning more towards it's not Oliver now and thinking it was more of a dude, you know, uh, some dude from the past. Uh, special people. The Cutters, notorious thieving band composed mostly of fairborn and half-elves, they extend an invitation to Oliver and Luthien to join up after discovering them as the ones behind the Crimson Shadows that have so disrupted the merchant class in Montfort. That's pretty cool. So this is our first band. Like, we've met the band of merchants. Uh, we've seen some, like, ideas of thieving bands in, in the lower levels of, like, the marketplace and stuff, like, just kind of rings of pickpockets mm -hmm. and stuff but this yeah, is the yeah. first actual like yo we're actually notorious here the cutters we're not messing around we're and the cutters full name you know if you have a special name for a group they're important yeah um i, I don't like the name the cutters i think it's kind of dumb but whatever you know i guess they're yeah. you know whatever they're cut, they're cut purses they're cutting out the merchant okay. class huh? word huh? word uh I shaban know. Supposed slave girl, full-blooded fairborn, part of the Cutters, Oliver's, cr or not Oliver's crush, but Luthien's crush. I like it. Yeah. Um, so, we now know the identity of Luthien's crush. Um, what do you think about her? Because before, we just thought of her as a slave girl. We knew she was going to be important, and we had said, okay, in these next chapters, we're about to find out who she is. How do you so like how it turned out? So as I was reading, right, I'm like, there's no way they're going to just have a random slave girl be Luthien's, be Luthien's love interest. 
And not that I'm saying like they couldn't have, yeah. but this character, this girl, this this cutter, this thief, this this you know not so much a slave girl, is so much more multi-dimensional and has so many more you know facets and qualities that you're wondering about as he's dealing with her. Well, first of all, we still don't know if they can be trusted at this point. I still don't know after reading chapter 19. I'm still literary of them. But we, she is so much deeper being more than just a pretty face. Yeah. How many times do we read a story? Oh, the princess fair needs to be saved. And those stories are fine and well. But I, I expected more, and I'm glad we got it. I would have been disappointed if she was just some ditzy slave girl. That would have been... Ugh. Yeah, I'm glad. I knew that there was going to be something like this where she was going to be more important. But I thought more along the lines that you did, that she was like working with the merchant and it was all kind of like a, a front that she's a slave, yeah. but actually she's like doing his bidding and stuff like that. Or, and like or hell, may, maybe even the merchant is stealing from the merchant class. Maybe he's trying to make as much money as possible, even if he does some damage to his own people. Or, yep, doing that. Um and and that would be an interesting turn because then we can meet someone else who's like yeah. inside the society that can pretend like oh yeah I'm getting hit so hard but really in reality he's a he's kind of he's a high up thief and maybe he's maybe he's the leader of the cutters and he's like planning everything you know whatever we won't go down that rabbit hole this this episode. oh we can go down please please so what that how would does be, that change the story if that happens so if if he's the leader of the cutters like you know behind the scenes and stuff like that he's like the pasha of the of the cutters and he i just want to i want to stop you for one second i want to say that this is fanfic this is not canon necessarily this is going on our fanfic website yeah i want to make that statement so people don't confuse this with yeah this isn't actually happening happening. no um it's much simpler than that to follow but of course we go down these rabbit holes that are just fun and so uh the idea there being you can do some really interesting things with a guy who's an insider in the merchants guild who's kind of like saying, yeah, this guy's getting a little too much. We haven't heard of him being stolen from for a while. So why don't you do that? Or we really want to get this big hit. So why don't you start going on the outskirts here to get all the attention of the Cyclopean guards in that way. And then as soon as they're open, boom, you hit it. Yeah. As soon as I saw her coming out of that house uh, on the makeshift rope, you know, I thought to myself, what if she's working with this merchant? And like you said, what if it's a front and what if they're just burning this mother down from the inside out? Like, I I really like that. That's the kind of stuff I thought about while I was reading these chapters. Again, not a ton of action. Yeah. But lots of plot, lots of story, lots of character development. So lots of really good stuff in these chapters and so many possibilities. Yeah, I want, you know, now I'm really thinking that that could be a potential because like, how would a merchant slave owner not know that his slave is a thief? Like, how are you, you know, I give you like maybe like a scrap of food a day, but you're still looking good. Like you look healthy. Why? You know, your hair is good and everything. Think about this for a second. Think about it like this. You know, if you go to bed at night, you got, you got your slaves out there, right? And they're all out in their little (laughs) slave cabin. You know, everybody, (laughs) it's like, it's like, it's just a hard scenario to even build for me. Yeah. But you go to bed at night, you got slaves out there in their slave cabin or slave bunks or whatever the hell you have. I'm not getting up every two hours right. and walking over there with a candle to make sure all my slaves are in their beds. Yep. Like, but bed. I was thinking about like, I was thinking about that, right? Like what, like, cause when I was a kid, my parents used to do that, right? Like four in the morning, my dad would just open the door to my room and make sure I was okay. Check you and the other slaves. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, so like if I was downstairs playing video games, I got in trouble, Busted. right? Yeah. But you know, so I'm thinking to myself, they ain't doing that. He ain't getting up every two, three hours to go out there and be like, yo, Siobhan, you in bed? All right, we good. We Gucci. That's, that's, that's not happening, right? So I, I was just thinking to myself, like, how would he know? Yeah, like, ain't no merchant got time for that. But right away, I was thinking, maybe. That'd be maybe cool. Maybe they're working together. That brings us to chapter 19 in Hollowed Halls. Summary. Uh, th- this is the beginning. This is something from the beginning of the chapter here. Feigning interest. Oh, this is when we meet the Duke, dude. Okay. Feigning interest, Duke Morkney leaned forward in his wooden chair, his skinny elbows poking out of his voluminous red robe. Hands set on his huge desk, 
Across from him, several merchants spoke all at once, the only common words in their rambling being theft and crimson shadow. The merchants... Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I like this because now we get to meet Morkney. And we've been hearing about Morkney over and over and over. And I'm just like, okay, is this guy really as bad as they're making right. you believe? Uh, like, we, like we don't even know if he's a guy at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or like allegedly a mage, like or a wizard. So it's like, what's going on? Like, why do we fear this person so much? And then I, 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 I see this chapter and I'm just like. It confirms everything. He's a, I'm going to take a step back. Yeah, he's like, look, guys, I'm a wizard. You can tell by my voluminous robes. Okay? Red. Yeah. So the merchants of Montfort are convening a meeting with Duke Morkney about how bad it's been lately for them with the return of the Crimson Shadow. Morkney reminds them that he is just a thief and one who conveniently leaves his mark, so they should all settle down because it's only a matter of time before they catch him. One of the merchants presses the point stating that Duke's uh, that the Duke does not understand, to which Morkney stares at him with ire intimidatingly. He's like, I don't understand, bro. And he's like looking at him, just mean mugging him. You you get the feeling of like, it reminded me of like Darth Vader, you know, when that scene when it's like, excuse me, Lord Vader, we have forgotten to blah, blah, blah. And then like he chokes the dude, you know. I'm seeing a lot of that in Morkney, right? It's like, don't tell me. Yeah. I don't understand. I've been around. I've been around the block. And it's not because I had too many drinks to find the house. I've been around the block. I've been through this before. And we're going to find out just how around the block this guy has been very shortly. Another merchant saves his friend by changing the subject to the dwarf in the square. It's our boy from the square, bruh. We knew, we knew there was going to be some consequences for those actions. Yep. To which Morkney quickly announces that he will be punished accordingly. Um, so, uh, what did he say here? Oh, so this is a part from the book. This is what Morkney, this is Morkney saying something. We can never have too many dwarvish workers now, can we? He asked slyly. And the scene, this seemed to appease the group, the group somewhat. Go back to your shops. Morkney said to all of them, leaning back and waving his bony arms empathetically, empathetically. King Greensparrow has hinted that our production is not where it should be. That, I say, is more pressing problems than the petty thief or some ridiculous shadows that you cannot remove. So Morkney's so, like, <laughs> yeah, send them well, in their right. place. <clears throat> See, because remember, uh, a nice Star Wars reference, there's always a bigger fish. So Morkney's the big bad right here, right? Yep. But Green Sparrow's the real big bad. Emperor Green Sparrow. There's somebody King. over the top of Morkney, and Green Sparrow's breathing down Morkney's neck. So I always use this analogy to my employees, right? Hey, if I'm getting yelled at, you're getting yelled at. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Because yep. there's somebody up top, and then he yells at the underling who's a boss, and then boss yells at the workers. Shit rolls down the hill, doing. right? You're right. But it's so true, and we can see that, literally can see that in this example right here. Morkney's laying the smack down. He's telling these guys, hey, quit screwing around. Quit dicking around. Quit being such pussies. Go back to your shop and do your job. We're going to catch the guy at some point. Quit freaking worrying about some shadow. Green Sparrow's pissed off because our production isn't what it should be. Yeah, and it starts to establish the mines that we heard about way in the beginning of the book, saying like yes. uh, Montford is this t- mining town and merchant town. Well, we've only seen the merchant type in the market and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We've never even, they didn't even mention mines really, besides a few things in the dwarf when they're talking to dwarves and stuff. So this is actually cool. Now it's like, oh, there's actually a thing here. We're about to find out more. Yeah. And it's really funny, right? Because we can see it kind of coming out like Morkney. Okay. It's probably on his mind. But Morkney does not appear to be concerned about the Crimson Shadow. Morkney is more concerned about saving his own neck and not pissing off Green Sparrow. Right. That is revealed here just in these conversations. And we talk about the writing style all the time, right? If you really delve in like we're doing right now, you can see that while, yes, it might be on his mind, it might be on his plate, Morkney's still more concerned with appeasing King Green Sparrow and keeping him happy so he can continue to be happy and not have to worry about what the dickheads below him are doing. Yeah, and, and this scene is really inside Morkney's head because you see a lot or you read a lot of what his inner thoughts are. And he's like, 
that's why he gets so mad at these merchants very quickly because he's like, I know that they haven't stolen from you any more than anybody else. It's just the fact that he's the crimson shadow that everyone's worked up. And it's revealed, yeah. I think, later, and I'll bring it up in the points to bring up, that he knew the original crimson shadow or knew of him back yeah. when he was one of the old wizards from the Brotherhood, the ancient Brotherhood or whatever. So Morkdy's an old wizard. The scene ends with the, the old wizard uh, musing on what tortures would come upon the unlucky petty thief that found the crimson cape basically being like someone found this cape and he's about to get into a world of hurt they go they gonna get killed yeah hey can i read the can i read the next uh yeah please do because i have it in front of me okay okay so uh yeah so then we cut back to oliver and luthien in a bit of an argument about whether they should join the cutters while in his best going out clothes looking the part of a swashbuckler which i really enjoyed Oliver explains that being a part of a guild means you have to split your profits and they tell you what targets to hit. He enjoys the independence and inserts that he works alone, insists that he works alone with Luthien, of course. Luthien just wants to see Shiban again and will do pretty much whatever it takes to see her, but understands this dilemma. And I understood this right away because I knew, I knew the moment even though Oliver wanted to get mentioned, he wanted Oliver to Burroughs to be mentioned, you know, he wanted to be invited, all that stuff. I knew the moment that they were inviting him to the group, Oliver's going to have a problem with this because he's not in control. Exactly. And the more hands you have in the pot, first of all, the bigger chance you have of a mistake and a disaster and the less take there is for everybody. Yeah. It was cool to see a, a scene where basically Oliver's just getting ready to go to market. But he's looking good today. He's feeling himself, you know? So he's he's dressed up, dude. Yeah. And he's like, I work alone. I work alone. Of course, with you, but I work alone, you know? And that's why I, I liked that little part. So just before Oliver leaves, he reminds Luthien that he has given the people back some measure of hope and to not let them down. Luthien then introspects on all the chance meetings and events that had led him to this point. He decides that uh, he is a peasant hero to these people and is taken aback at the irony of that statement, him not being a peasant at all. Luthien then heads out of the apartment to catch up with Oliver on their way to the market. The day was cold and gray as they made their way into the market at the end of the season. The pair were drawing eyes of the crowds in their fine clothing and the Cyclopean guards were also taking some notice as well. They were happily eating some cockroach-free biscuits for lunch. <laughs> when a whisper came from the side as the biscuit vendor moved aside to another customer. They looked over to find the cloaked figure of the male elf they had met in the alley. Do they know? Oliver asked quietly. They suspect, the half-elf answered. They'll not openly accuse you, of course, not with the witnesses about. So uh, they're just sitting there munching on some biscuits, and they're drawing attention from the people because people are like oh that, that, that's those guys that's those guys you know and then the cyclopeans are looking at them with their one eye being like i see you you know and uh then i the, see you citizen the half elf cloaked is like yo dude you got to be careful around here you know so luthien played it cool luthien played it cool looking forward non-committedly you know just like eating his biscuit but he's listening intently into the conversation it felt like a scene from every mob movie we've ever seen yeah listening to oliver and the half elf continue their uh hushed discussion the half elf told oliver that there was news that they couldn't talk about here and to meet shaban behind the dwarf later that night oliver agreed that they would be there but the half elf clarified that it should only be luthien alone and he's like, come on, man. <laughs> no, Oliver Deboros. And of course, my mind's going, oh, dude, they are bad. They're going to be, they're setting up a trap for Luthien. At this point, the Cyclopean guard approached the pair as the half-elf made a stealthy exit. The guard starts grilling Oliver and Luthien, asking them questions about their time in Montfort and what they're buying today. Oliver comes up with the story that Luthien is his son. And Luthien plays along, copying Oliver's accent in a hilarious manner. The Brutus Cyclopean began to lose heart as he noticed the commoners paying attention to the interaction, correctly deducing that if he were to attempt to take these men, that, they, that he would probably cause an outburst from the mob. This allows well, them to leave without any further issues. Let's not forget, many of them were wearing dirks and swords too. 
So these are not necessarily just unarmed people. Even though these Cyclopeans are guards and they're moving around and they're watching these people, these Cyclopeans are still alert and they're still watching out for themselves first. Yeah, and I don't remember when they first went to the market, when they first got to Montfort, that there was really note of people wearing dirks and short swords on their hips. But this is this uh, scene is coming right after Oliver saying, you know you've brought hope to these people again, right? Like, like they're ready to fight. Yeah, so now we notice that people are wearing dirks and short swords. And it's like, these people are ready at the word. To get behind, to get behind the Crimson Shadow. Then we abruptly cut to a surprising sentence and a scene change. Ooh. Kiss me. Her melodic tones caught the young man off guard, and the unexpected request nearly buckled his knees. Luthien froze in place, staring blankly at Shaban, having no idea what to do next. You want to? She stated this obviously. She stated the obvious. So, yeah. So it starts off with, uh, woo! That was a quick scene change. We are we going right into for, it. We were kind of waiting for this, though, weren't we? Oh, I'm so happy. I wanted Luthien to get a little smooches. So, so this writing technique we're seeing here, sorry, this writing technique we're seeing here is awesome. Love that it. Bob's using. It's quick. He just goes from one scene to yep. the next. We're not going to dick around going back to Tiny Alcove, talking and arguing, walking to the dwelth, are talking and arguing, getting there, working your way around it. We're just going right there. We're moving the pace. Yep. We're getting you to a cliffhanger for this book. Yeah, they, and it. that that half-elf said, you got to meet Shaban behind the back of the dwarf, um at the rise of the moon. So we know as soon as she says, kiss me, and her melodic tones caught the young man off guard, we know where we are. Luthien's behind the dwarf with Shaban in the middle of the night, and we about to get a kiss. Let me lay one more thing on you. This is also an interesting writing technique because not only does the the phrase kiss me catch Luthien off guard, but it also catches us, the reader, off guard. So it almost makes us feel as though we're right there with Luthien. Yeah. So Luthien, stammering and caught off guard, tries to change the subject to the news he came there and immediately regrets it. So he's just like, uh, uh, what about the news I'm here for? And totally misses his opportunity. Yeah. Oliver was waiting inside the dwarf and gave Luthien the instructions to come back inside after the pri- their private meeting. Shaban yeah. dropped her smile and began to discuss the business, but Luthien leaped up and kissed her full on the lips. That's how it was written in the book. Full on the lips, man. I've never said that he before. Was, he, was, he was ready for it. It looks good on the page, but it sounds weird out loud. You yeah. kissed me full on the lips. That out of the way. Shaban reveals to Luthien that the dwarf who had helped them in Morkney Square was taken by the Praetorian Guard and is now locked in a dungeon awaiting trial. Luthien gets serious and wants to break the dwarf out. He asks where he is, but Shaban explained that there are many dungeons, but that his trial would be held at the Ministry tomorrow. First of all, why do we care about this dwarf? Not saying we shouldn't, not saying we don't, but why do we care about this dwarf? Why is Shaban giving him this information? But it's almost like they know this dwarf. That's what I was thinking at this point. Mm-hmm. That's what went through my head is, he's just a dwarf. There's other dwarfs going to the mines. Like, he's not the only one. So why do we, why do they care about him? What is Shaban's connection to the dwarf was my question at this point. That's a, that's a good question. And Luthien had a similar question. Luthien was skeptical at how Shaban could have known about the dwarf or what had happened that night in the square. But she only smiled and reminded him that it's good to be connected, saying like, well, I'm part of the Thieves Guild, so, you know. She then tells him the dwarf's name, Shuglin. Shuglin. I love this. Shug Knight. Sugar. Sugar. Hey, Shuggy. You going to the uh, mines today, brother. And that he knew that uh, he would be caught, but helped them knowingly uh, knowing the consequences fully. At that point, the pair part ways with a final kiss, and Luthien makes his way into the dwarf. So she kind of explains to him, you know, uh, this dwarf isn't part of my like guild. You know, I didn't really personally know him. He was just a regular craftsman. But yep. I just wanted to give you this information. So that also surprised me because why? even then it still brings up the question, why would she care? 
Maybe she's trading him information to get him to trust her and to get him into the cutters. Yeah. Hey, this guy helped you. He's in trouble. I'll help you get him back, but then you're going to help us. So does the dwarf know who the Crimson Shadow is then? Mm. The sugar? The Shuggy? On the way home from the... And then here's another cut, an excellent cut, where he goes into the Dwarf, but then it's the next... Well, we, we assume he goes into the Dwarf after the kiss, but the next sentence is, on the way home, you know? Yeah. So on the way home from the Dwarf, Oliver and Luthien were drunk and arguing about helping Shuglin, the Dwarf craftsman. They pass by the ministry and start casing the place, realizing that the building was much larger and much more protected than Luthien had realized. They observed into the morning as tax day started and watched people bringing money to the ministry. They saw a procession of criminals led by Praetorian guards and saw Shuglin among them. So they, being drunk after the dwarf, go to the ministry and are like, okay, let's just see what we can do here. And the place is super tall. It doesn't look like it's very easily accessed from the outside. This isn't one of those rooftop jump onto it things. It's right in the middle of everything and it's huge. And so they're like, all right. Is this another Mission Impossible scene? Could be. I don't have the job worked out. I should have. Uh, anyway, so it seemed uh, to the pair that the guards had anticipated the chance that Crimson Shadow might appear to break out the prisoner. Hmm. Oliver gets a disguise in the form of a flowery dress and tells Luthien that he will act as his daughter so that they can get a closer look. <laughs> so stupid. Yep. And then they bribe their way into the ministry and get into a hidden position to observe the tax roll. So like a Cyclopean guard comes up to them and it is all sleazy and being like, what are you about? And then like Luthien's like, oh, I'm here for my late for the taxes. Coming here to pay your taxes with your virgin daughter. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. And uh, what happened to your screen? You look scared over there. Just turned off or something. Yeah, it did. I'm good, though. <laughs> okay, so um, they, they bribe their way in. They get in, and um, so they start looking at the place. Luthien observes that inside the building, there's an opening at the roof for maintenance crews to clean the statues. So they pull out the magical grapnel and make their way up. They noticed some new statues of gargoyles, which seemed odd to the pair because it was weird for a church to have such evil-looking artwork. They could see down into the altar room, where Duke Morkney was sitting with a bored expression. They watched the tax roll as they saw people paying their taxes uh, under intimidation, which really pissed Luthien off. One old man, who obviously didn't have enough payment to offer, was taken away, and his crying wife was also taken. Halfway through the tax call, two hours of have passed by this point, the prisoners were presented in the court. Ooh. Oliver asks Luthien sarcastically how they could spring Shuglin from this heavily guarded area. They learn that the prisoners would be sent away, humans in prison, and the dwarfs to the mines, out and away from the city. They couldn't do anything now, so they went back to their apartment in Tiny Alcove, where Luthien was pacing around, agitated, and wanting to take action. Oliver pleaded with Luthien that there was literally nothing they could do about this, but Luthien was already determined and proclaimed, Well, if they took Shuglin to the mines, then I go to the mines. And so ends chapter 19. <laughs> so now we know where we're going. I was I hoping they were going to bust them then. I haven't read. I was actually thinking, how are they ever going to do this? And yeah. I'm like, I think they're going to the mines before this ever happened. But... Now, chapter 20, you know, it's either a setup chapter yep. or it's going to be a freaking banger. Yes. We're about to go into some action. I can't wait. Points to bring up. The original Crimson Shadow information. We learned through the thoughts of Duke Morkney that the Crimson Shadow was a long dead man from a, the time when the ancient Brotherhood of Wizards was still a thing. The thief was never caught, but was a notorious thief, not just in Munford, but in all of Earl Eriador, including Princetown. Where's Princetown, you ask? Well, bust out I the actually map. Did ask, I actually did ask that a few times. Yeah. So Princetown, if you look at uh, the Iron Cross, directly to the right of it is Princetown, which is southeast of Munford. So, so Munford's nice. on the, the almost the west, nearing the west coast 
of Eriador. And so it's probably, you know, a couple hundred miles uh, hmm. to uh, Princetown. So what that tells me is it, it gives me an idea of like, it, you know, they explained that the Crimson Shadow was an actual dude um, that not just in Munford, but in all of Eriador, which is the northern part of Pretoria. So he was known throughout the lands, you know what I mean? And um, Princetown being a named place, I don't know if he's just trying to just name drop another place on the map or if it's like maybe the dude was from Princetown. And later on, um, I think Oliver says, maybe we could go to Princetown and let everything kind of die down here. Like, oh, Justin, you know where I just, what light bulb just went off in my head. Why, why would... Why would Duke Morkney mention that the dude that the what was the Crimson Shadow, which they had a bunch of information on, but never was caught? They knew he was notorious in Princetown as well. But then later, not in not under the same circumstances, without even knowing that Morkney's thinking about Princetown, Oliver suggests that maybe they go to Princetown to chill out. Cause the Crimson Shadow is still alive. Oh my and god. I'll- and he's Oliver's, uh, a friend of Oliver's. Oh my god! <laughs> I have another. I have another theory. Yeah, you won't like it, and you probably won't agree with it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I hate it. And if it comes to be true, y'all heard it first here on Random Book Club podcast. Y'all ready for this? What if Duke Morkney is the original Crimson Shadow? Ooh, I'm not saying he is. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. asking, what if? Because he don't seem the least bit concerned. The only thing he's concerned about right now is keeping Green Sparrow off his back. And he does mention that uh, that he remembers the Crimson Shadow from back when he was part of the Ancient Brotherhood. What if Brenda Moore? That's where I'm going. Is the Crimson Shadow? That's where and I'm him going. Him and Morkney are buddies, and he's just been biding his time, waiting for Brenda Moore to get his staff back. Before they burn this mother down. I don't know if they're friends. I don't know if they're friends. Ah, just, just throw a spitball in. Uh, okay. I'm more of the line of maybe Brenda Moore, maybe Brindy, hmm, knew the Crimson Shadow, and that's why he had his mm. stuff. Obviously, he did. He had to have known the Crimson Shadow, right? Because why else would he have the Crimson Shadow's cape and his sweet uh, collapsing bow? Which we haven't seen from in a while, dude. I want to see this collapsing bow come out again, man. Next point to bring up. Chance after chance. We, we fan fictioned really hard there, didn't we? Yes, we did. I love it. Well, that that little that little point of Princetown, and I'm glad we brought it up. It's brought up by two separate characters who are not in the same headspace. So there's gotta be something to it. And it is very obvious when Oliver mentions it that you're supposed to pay attention to it. Even if you don't think so, yeah. it is spaced properly on the page and Princetown is capitalized and Princetown, just the way it's mentioned, it's only been mentioned twice so far to my knowledge. Yeah, my and my copy was signed by um, Bob Salvatore and it highlighted it and said, paid attention to this on it. No, that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> so chance after chance. When Oliver and Luthien discuss the possible joining of the thieving band known as the Cutters, Oliver leaves Luthien with the realization that through their work, under the guise of the Crimson Shadow, that they had brought hope back to the people. Luthien then introspects and we get an interesting take on how this all came about through chance, in quotes. Hmm. Luthien, this is from the book. Luthien nodded, but stood in the room for several minutes after Oliver had departed deep in thought. There was a measure of truth in what the halfling had said about bringing hope. Luthien realized, by the su- by some trick of fate, a chance gift after a chance meeting with an eccentric wizard, and that after a chance meeting with an even more eccentric halfling, he, Luthien Bedwear, had found himself carrying on a legend he had never heard of. He had been thrust into the forefront of the common cause of those who had been left out of King Greensparrow's designs for wealth. I I loved that whole part. Yep. Chance after chance after chance. Hmm. Makes you think. <laughs> makes you think. Just like last Somebody. episode when you were saying. 
he's being led. I'm telling you right now, dude, yep. this is not an accident. Oliver knows what's going on. Brindamore knows what's going on. They're putting together a team. It's the Avengers. It's the Avengers. Special people. There Duke, weren't any. Duke Morkney. <laughs> Duke Morkney, the Duke of Montfort, wears a loose and ample red robe. That's what voluminous means. What? Red. Yeah, what about Dude, red? Red, crimson. Come on, bro. Ooh, it's crimson. a secretive nod to it. It's a freaking secret society, dude. I'm telling you, Morkney is not bad. Okay, where's, that's my prediction. Wears a loose and ample red robe, knobby hands, thin lips, and bony elbows. This guy is an old wizard, man. He is basically the governor of Montfort, having his hand in everything from merchants to mining production. Markney had been among the ancient brotherhood of wizards. So that's that, dude. And that ends chapter 19, which was called, scrolling up here, In Hollowed Halls, which I think is a reference to the ministry and how hollowed they have become now with Gargoyle statues, tax collections, and slave persecutions. I love this chapter. And just like we've seen me kind of developing some fan theories here, this chapter makes me think so much of, dude, what is going to happen next? But I maintain my prediction that Morkney is not as bad as we think, or he was once good. Potentially. I've got a little picture of what I think Morkney looks like on the screen. Taking that away. Where'd you get this from? I don't know. Paizo, I think they oh, on their from their. Um, we did it a couple episodes ago where yeah. um, they have like an art Twitter or something, some art blog where you're allowed to use their artwork to just comment on and stuff. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, to this episode of chapter 18 and 19 of the Sword of Bedware. We can't wait to find out what's going on in chapter 20, which do we have the title for chapter 20? Value of a Kiss. Value of a Kiss. Mm-hmm. So, Justin, uh, where can they find your information at? Uh, you guys can find um, some of my projects on Amazon.com, self-published indie author. Definitely, uh, there'll be some links in the description, but I want you guys to check out The Trinity of Heroes. And if you guys are into like anime and light novels, be sure to check out Tokyo Lightning as well. You can also follow us on Wattpad, where I have a monster collection of random unfinished writings. Uh, Jared and Justin Authors is our handle. Feel free to check us out there too. And you guys can listen to the uh, Random Book Club podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, We're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, BitChute, um, all the smaller ones that are apps on phones. Uh, So, yeah, check us out. You can also leave us a message. Uh, Check out our our YouTube page where we got links to voice messaging and stuff like that. You can send us an email. You can connect with us any way you want. So anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for joining me, Justin. Dan, I'm always glad to be here for the Random Book Club podcast. And I have to say, The Crimson Shadow, Sword of Bedwear was an awesome choice for the first book. I'm really enjoying this. Thank you for having me on another episode. I agree with you. And thanks for watching Random Book Club podcast. (laughs) 